be here and what a beautiful day we have. You know, I love James. The more I read through him, the more I just... It's probably one of the books, I think, in the Bible that I've read more than uh, any other. I sort of started my, my faith reading this book and uh, in a series by Stuart Briscoe. And I've read and read and read, and the thing I think I like about him is he's just sort of a common guy. He's, um, he's I, I like to call him a blue-collar preacher. And, you know, there's a difference when you're dealing with, uh, I, I think, a sports. I have had coaches in the past, some would come up and tell me, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. And others would come up and say, you know, I think you could do better. And I always responded to the ones that said, I think you can do better. And so I think this is how James is. James points out things in this new church that has started where people are sort of complacent. They're sort of in their ways. And he's not really um, slapping their hands, but he's saying, you know, God has a plan. God has something bigger than what you realize. And, and you can do better. And I've always just liked that about James. I, I like that that he, he's an encourager in what we should do. And he points out these things and says, we can do these things. He doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat things. And so when we go back, we're probably going to go back to about 12 just to refresh a little. We're going to go through, I think, 20 today. But he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives forth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Then, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we're sort of looking at God's contrast of, of his goodness and the temptations we face. Sometimes we give um, God the blame and things that he has nothing to do with. We might blame him for problems in our life. We talked about that, about the rich and the poor. Sometimes the rich say, I don't need God, and they depend on their own resources. The poor sometimes say, where is God? And so they're uh, tempted to steal or to take things into their own hands. But we can give God... Uh, the blame at times. And then I also like to say we give Satan credit for a lot of things in our life that he doesn't deserve. James is saying that we have choices in the things that we do and we need to keep our eyes fixated on God. And it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. We know that in our own nature that there's nothing really good about us. The Bible tells us that the only goodness in us as believers is that of Christ Jesus. Uh, true goodness really in our fallen nature just isn't something that happens. Our nature, our will, uh, man's ways tend to be those that 
are sinful, those that draw us away from God and not closer to God. And so he addresses this as we go. And it says that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven, the Father of lights. You know, if you're out on one of these nights and it's a clear night and you can see these stars, it's a constant reminder that it is God who has placed those stars in place. It is God that has created this universe and everything that happens. We can look in the mess of the world today, as, as was described what's happening over by Europe right now, um, we can look. We can look close to home. We can see messes around here. We see messes in our lives. We see messes at our job places. We sometimes think it's it's just out of control. But understand this: that God in His sovereignty knows everything that is going on, and He is working through all these things that are going on. That's right. Now, I read a little something about um, Ukraine that in one of their city capitals, they had people gathered in the city square and they were singing hymns and praising God for things. Now, I know the media has a lot of things that could be true and not true, but that's really the Christian's duty. We praise God, not only in the sunshine, but we praise Him in the storm. We praise Him when we're going through hard times. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you face these various things. James will teach us that. And so as we go through these things, the important thing is that we do is that we remember that our focus, our attention, shouldn't always be on our problems. We can't be oblivious to the things that are going on around us. We need to pray for the things that are going on around us. We need to, uh, if the Lord leads, get involved in those things that are going on around us. But we shouldn't be consumed by those things. We need to be consumed by our relationship with Christ. We seek God and we say, God, what is it that you would have me to do? What is it that, that I can do about this situation? What is it that I can do to make things better? We can all be finger pointers. We can all find the fault in those things around us. And we've sort of been um, probably nurtured that way in our society that we're fault finders. We've learned to put people down so we can elevate ourselves. So we've learned to use people as stepping stones to elevate ourselves. And I always just say, we don't need to do that. We do what God does and it says, he will exalt us. He is the one that will lift us up. And so the goodness of, of, or the ultimate goodness of any gift anyways, needs to be really measured in eternal things. So are the things that I'm doing today, are they making a difference eternally for things around us? So we get temporal blessings in this life, and, and temporal blessings are nice too. But something that seems to be only good, uh, like a temporal thing, could be a lottery thing. Now, I don't do lotteries, but there might be people that, that play the lottery. And, and if you read about the people that win these mega million dollar lotteries, a lot of them within a few years are broke. Their marriages have dissolved. Their family is in, in ruins. We have all these sports players that are making millions and millions of dollars a year. And after they retire, sometimes even during their playing time, they're involved with drugs. They're involved in you know, sexual activities, they're, they're running this fast lane life, but really what seems like a blessing, you know, and, and they'll say when they get this, oh, praise God for this, and, you know, I give God the glory, and, and then they go off on their own trails. Those things, sometimes in this world, they can seem that our blessings can really turn out to be destruction in our lives. So we need to, to really look and say, what is this that can have eternal value? And so I say to parents, as you invest the scriptures into your children, you are investing or you are sowing eternal things into those children or to your neighbors or to your friends or to your family members. As we share the things that God has that have eternal value, those are the things that are really going to matter in this world. And so he tells us that with God that there is no variation 
or turning with him. And I like that. No variation. That doesn't mean like God is hot on us some days and he's cool on us the other days, but sometimes we talk about God that way. I just don't feel God's presence. I don't know where he is. I just don't feel him today. And then sometimes it's like, oh man, I I got the Holy Ghost in me and we're just all crazy about stuff. God says that there is no variation. There is no shadow of turning with thee. So when we look at today, we could go out and we can look at the sun. You shouldn't look at the sun, it will hurt your eyes, but you can see how bright it is out there, right? And tonight we're going to say, where did the sun go? The sun is gone. Well, the sun is shining just as bright as it is today. Even tonight, it's going to be shining bright. The only difference is that the world has turned, right? And so that's our life sometimes. We turn from God and we say, well, where is he? Where is God? Where is God in my life? He is still there. He is shining as bright as he ever did. There is no variation of God. He is always continually wanting to pour out his grace and his mercy on us. He's always wanting to forgive us of our sins. And so John, little Johns tell us this, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we repent of those sins. God always wants us to be drawn to him. He is doing everything that he can for our benefit and for our, our, our good. And we need to understand that. There's no variation. He loves us with a love that is as strong before we knew him as it is today. Amen. See, sometimes we think, well, I'm a good Christian. I don't talk that way. I don't do these things anymore. Surely God loves me more now than he did back then. But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There wasn't anything redeemable about us that should make him love us other than his grace and his mercy. And so when we look at that, we understand there's no variation. He loves you just as much today as he always has from the beginning of time. He loves mankind. His grace doesn't waver like the winds or the the waves of the sea. His grace is consistent. His grace and his mercy are there for us to dip into. He wants us to experience those things and have those things. It's just like wisdom when we talked last week. It said, you know, if you lack it, ask it. And it says that he will give generously without reproach. That means he wants us really to experience the attributes of God in our lives all the time. And so when he says that he is the father of lights, it can mean the, the actual stars. We look up and we recognize the power of God and who he is. And it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Sometimes we think we earn salvation. So a lot of times you talk to people, oh, when I get, as soon as I sow some oats, then I'll come to Christ. Like, like it's my choice. It's when I want to do it. It's on my agenda, my time. It says, today is the day of salvation. When you hear his voice, don't, don't shut him out. It is him, by the word of truth, that stirs that in us, that desire even to come to him. We shouldn't quench that spirit when he has that in our life. James understood that the gift of salvation was given by God and not earned by the obedience of man. Now he wants our obedience and he wants our our attention. He wants our love. Those are all things that I think are very pleasing to God. But that doesn't earn us the salvation. Salvation is that free gift of grace, right? Uh, Not of works lest any one of us could boast. You know, it's a free gift that God has given us. And so Trapp says this, the word properly signifies he did the work of a mother to us, bringing us into the light of life. So when we talk about being brought into this light of life, it's like a mother that gives birth to her child. That's what God has done. He has brought us to this point where we're at. And so now we're here. 
We're saved. We're, we're redeemed. We're his child. What is it that he wants us to do? Spurgeon wrote this. He says, Now mostly men who are generous need to have their generosity excited. They will need to be waited upon. Appeals must be laid before them. They must sometimes be pressed. An example must be there to lead them on. But then talking of Christ, he says this, But of his own will, God did to us uh, all that has been done, without any incentive or prompting, moved only by himself, because he delights in mercy, because his name and his nature are love, because evermore, like the sun, it is natural to him to distribute the beams of his eternal grace. Spurgeon is saying God loves us and his grace is there. It says no matter what you have faced in your life, no matter where you've been, God is there and God loves you. And, and God wants you to enter into that relationship with him. He's calling us. It's like a, a, a mother that's at the back door calling the kids to come home. Come home. Come home. Did we just sing that song? You are weary, come home? Maybe we sang it somewhere. It's in my mind now. You know, that's what really God is doing. He's calling us all the time. And even as believers, sometimes we get off that path. We get strayed. We, you know, we've made even bad choices there. And, and God is saying, come. Drive her closer to me. The closer I am to him, the, the, the less that I am of myself. And that's really what he wants. When we talk about walking in, in, in a shadow of somebody, just think of that. You know, when my children were little and I was walking somewhere, through the snow in the wintertime. You know, I'm sort of a big guy, and I'd be taking steps like this, and I'd look back sometimes, and, and my kids, they, they were struggling because the snow was deep, and they couldn't do it. And then sometimes I had to take smaller steps. I had to slow down a little bit and break the path so, so they could get closer to me. I truly believe that that's what God does for us. God isn't making some hurdle for us that, that we can't uh, overcome. He's saying, you know, I am there. Follow me. It's like the woman that grabbed the hem of his garment. Grab the hem of, of Jesus and hang on to him and see where he takes you and see what he does. You know, it says that we might be the type of first fruits uh, of what he has. And so Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit, but when God has planted his Spirit in us, he wants us to bear fruit. If you have a fruit tree in your yard and it's not bearing fruit, you know, unless you're uh, just like in the shade, you probably get rid of it and get something else that's producing. We, we want to see those things that we plant produce. Well, God's the same way. He wants in us to exhibit those fruits of the Spirit. He wants us to exhibit His attributes in our life, and that's where He's going with this. So, in the previous verses, James was telling us about where the lust of man leads, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All those things are tied into every sin that, that we could ever commit. And He says, those things... He says, we are let, he says, but each one when tempted is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. See, that's the way of man. We are drawn away by our own desires and we are enticed. We are led in those things. And then it says, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sinful grown brings forth death. The way of a man seems right in his own eyes many times. But God says, I have something better. And James is saying, you can do better. You can do better. Maybe you've taken things into your own hand. Maybe you've, you've tried to uh, manage things in life. You know, when the world is sort of spinning out of control or our lives are, you know, at least I know as a man, sometimes it's like, wait, i got to get control of this thing. i got to slow it down. Sometimes I need to wait on the Lord and see what he has to say. We need to pray about that. 
How many times do we venture into things and we're not praying, we're not seeking God, we're not maybe even doing a devotion on those things. We need to seek God first many times in these things. Here it tells us what the will of God does. The will of man leads to sin, but the will of God, it says, draws us to salvation, the firstborn of those fruits. Now James, he was probably talking to those Jewish converts, but I think he was also talking beyond that. You know, if you've planted grapes, you sort of know this, the first year you might get a few or, or a, you know, a bucket full, but you're hoping that the next year that the, the crop is bigger and the next year bigger still and bigger still. See, that's what I think James was saying to the churches as he sent out this letter, which I believe was a sermon, that you are the kind of first fruits, but God is going to continue to increase his church. He's going to continue to grow his body. And no matter what is going on in the world today, you know, this, this amazes me that since the time of Christ and probably before that, the world has tried to get rid of the word of God. It's, it's tried to suppress, you know, the Bible. It's tried to suppress Christianity. It's tried to do all these things. And the world cannot do it. Why? Because God is in it. This is God's plan. So we're not defeated as a church. You know, we, we were praying for the churches this morning, just saying churches are going through difficult times right now. I mean, there's, and there's various reasons. There's false doctrine that's going out there. There's social culture churches. There's all sorts of things that are going on. But even biblical, Bible-based, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching churches are struggling today. But God is still there. And as long as God is there, his work goes on. And his work is going to go on until he comes back and brings us home. And so 19 and 20, to me, are very interesting as, as he as we sort of close this out today. It says, Though then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And when I was reading through that the last few weeks, I, I remember something from when I was young where somebody said, you know what, you got two eyes, you got two ears, you got one mouth, use them proportionately. And, and it was just a thought that has always stuck with me. You know, we should be observing a lot more, we should be listening a lot more, we should probably be speaking a lot less. Back then I knew it had nothing probably to do with scripture, but I like this, because he, he tells us right here, he says that, um, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And I want us to think about this as, as, as we end today. Are you a good listener? Do you sit back and listen and, and weigh things out? Are you one that, that can, you know, digest what you're hearing before responding? So when I first got into the ministry, because pastors are supposed to be great counselors and have answers for everything all the time, when somebody was speaking, I wasn't really listening much to them. I was just going to try to give them an answer to fix the problem that they were in. Not even really realizing that they knew the answer to their problem probably already. And so at the prison, I do this all the time. A lot of those guys, they just want to talk. They want somebody to listen to them. And I found out a long time ago that listening gets me a lot further than speaking sometimes. And you say, well, that's sort of strange because when you're here, you're speaking all the time. You're never listening to us. <laughs> but this is just my little window right now. But it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. And why would James tell us to do that? Well, because he says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so... Um, Really, when we look at things, we can, we can learn something about wrath. So wrath is an anger. 
And it's really not a righteous anger that we're talking about, though we like to justify our anger sometimes. But this is very pointed in what it says, for the wrath of man. It doesn't say the wrath of God, it says the wrath of man. This is what gets me mad. This is what gets under my skin. This is what eats my craw. This is, you know, what, what gets my blood boiling, however you want to say it. These are things, and do they produce the righteousness of God? And so, as I was thinking about that, the righteousness of God, I wanted to go back and say, what is, what is he talking about here? Because Paul talks about the righteousness of God as a right standing before God. We are made righteous through Christ and through the blood of Christ. That's a righteousness, right standing before God. But James seems to put it in a little bit different of a, a flow here when it says um, that what I'm doing does not produce the righteousness of God. And so it's really telling me that there are things in my life that I can do that will show forth the righteousness of God. So much of our anger and uh, much of our wrath, whatever you want to call it, um, comes from being self-centered and, and really not other-centered. So a lot of times when, when we act out in anger, it's, it's about me. It's something, I don't like this, I don't agree with this, you know, I want to have my, my say in this. And it's not always thinking about others. So man's wrath, so my anger in those things. Sometimes we need to think about what we get angry with. You know, have you ever had a, maybe a, an argument with your a beloved, and you go to bed and you wake up the next morning, you go to bed mad, even though the Bible says you don't, you don't know, we all do at times, right? So we go to bed mad, we might even wake up mad, but I can't for the world remind, remember what I'm mad about. All I know is I'm mad, okay? That's sort of the wrath of man that happens sometimes. Sometimes we get, we get upset over the, the frivolous things. Swift to hear, I think, is, is a way to be uh, centered on others. I'm saying you're valuable. Now, I'm not just saying um, hearing the words, but I'm really saying listening. You know, when you sit down and really listen to somebody. So if you deal with people a lot, sometimes you, you know this, that you can be listening to somebody, they can be saying certain words, but you're seeing something different in the words that they're saying, or you're hearing something different in the words that they're saying. That's intentive listening. You know, sometimes I'm talking with people about things, I can hear hurt, I can hear resentment, I can hear anger, I can hear confusion, you know, just by, and maybe they're not using those words or even trying to promote those things, but you can hear it just in the way that they're saying. When we are swift to hear, it's a way of being uh, centered on others. When we're slow to speak, it's the same thing. So one of my, my faults used to be early on, again, is when people were sharing with me or talking with me, instead of really tuning into what they were saying, I was trying to develop the answer that I wanted to give. Well, when I'm doing that, I'm not really getting the whole message of what they're saying because my mind is at one place doing something else and I'm only processing part of what they're saying. So I want to encourage you when you're dealing with people, if it's in your marriage, you know, marriages struggle a lot. You know, one of the, the major things is communication. We don't communicate well. Second thing is like money. But again, that's because we're not communicating well. With your beloved, with your friends, with your co-workers, with your children, with your grandchildren, with whoever, spend time and really listen to them. Let, let them talk and, and really listen and tune into what they're saying and be slow to speak. You know, we don't always have to give an answer. We don't always have to have the solution. You know, um, you know when we're thinking again about giving an answer, we're not doing any justice. 
Um, Trapp said this, and Trapp, is a, I should say, is a commentary guy that I read every now and then, uh, but has not the nature taught us the same that the apostle here does? By giving us two ears, those open, but one tongue, and that hedged in teeth and lips. I thought, well, that's interesting. I want you to think about that. If, if we're just quiet, we're quiet now. I'm speaking, you're just, you're listening to me. You're hearing me because your ears are open, right? There's nothing you need to do to, to hear the words or the, the sounds that I'm projecting. But to speak, it says I need to open my lips and it needs to get past this hedge of teeth, right? So that's an effort that goes on. James is sort of saying that too. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so this righteousness of God that we portray, well, what are those things? You know, wrath or anger of man, of us, our own self-anger, is almost always uh, defending or promoting my agenda and my thoughts. I can get defensive. See, I have, a, I have an opinion. Maybe Gene disagrees with it. But I'm going to get upset about it. Well, why? Why? Because I've made it about me. I've made it about me. And so when we really work together as a body of Christ, when we're doing the things that God would say, we talk about those things. We work through those things. We see things from a variety of, of opinions. Is it really worth getting mad over those things? Does it need to defend or promote my agenda or my ways? The wrath of man is what does that. Dictionaries define righteousness as behavior that is morally justifiable or right. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians take that position. I'm justified in my anger. I'm justified in my actions. I'm justified in my behavior. You know, and, and such behavior is characterized by those standards. The Bible standard of human righteousness is this. God's own perfection in every attribute, every attitude, every behavior, and every word. And I found that just in stark contrast to the world. Do I just justify myself because I think it's right? Or am I following these things? Are the words that I'm speaking, the way that I'm treating others, because he's talking about every, every attribute of God. You say, that's a lot to put on a plate. That's a lot for a Christian to do. But when I think about that, every attitude. So the Bible tells us this, what? Whatever you do in word, or deed, do it all to the glory of God. Is that the way you live your life? Think about it. That takes some self-discipline at times because in the flesh our reactions aren't always to the glory of God. Our words aren't always to the glory of God. Our behaviors are not always to the glory of God. So every attitude. Do you guys believe that you have a, a choice in your attitude? Or do you just think it's like, well, it's just whatever it is. I woke up crabby today. My wife has dreams every now and then. Okay, they're just dream dreams. She loves it when I use her. <laughs> she wakes up mad at me from a dream. Whatever I did in this dream, she, and she'll she wake up and she says, man, I had this dream. I'm so mad at you. And it's like, what did I do? You know, and she'll tell me and say, okay, well, I'm so mad at you. And she gets over it shortly, but we have those things in life. We have a choice in our attitude. I could wake up, maybe I didn't sleep good last night. I could wake up and say, man, I just feel lousy today. Get out of my way. I don't want to talk to you. Get away from me. You know, or do I choose to find joy in it? Do I find 
choose to say, hey, look at the day that the God has given us today. It's a beautiful day outside. We choose our attitudes. I want you to know that. You choose. If you want to be bitter, if you want to be angry, if you want to be sarcastic, if you want to be happy, that's a choice that you can make. Our attitudes. Every behavior. Do you believe that you're in control of your behavior? Sometimes we want to blame people. Well, if you wouldn't have done that to me, I wouldn't have responded that way. Well, you responded that way. We are in control of our behavior. Are you in control of every word that you say? James is going to talk quite a bit about words in a while, or, or the tongue. And that's interesting, because he talks about the tongue can be venomous, or it can be a blessing. What do you use your words for? Some people, you know, I, I know one guy who, who always says, oh, well, this is going to be a little trucker talk. Right? He claims Christianity, and then he'll sort of get into uh, using curse words. It's like, well, why do you, you got to do that? You know, there's no need for that. Do you know other words for the words you're using? Use those. But for whatever reason, that's that's how. It, and he, he'll always like warn us before he does it. It's like, you know, are you responsible for the words that you do? Even if you're talking appropriate language without all the slang and the, the trash talk, the way you say things sometimes does that bring glory to God? So think about that in our life today, as as we. As we close, I want you to really think. Are your actions showing the righteousness of God as he says? Are you being, you know, slow to speak, slow to angry, quick to listen? Because God wants us to, to, to be those things in our life. Are you exuding his attributes to others around you? I think James would say, you know what? I think you can do better. I think when we look at ourselves, we can say, you know what? I fail. I fail at that all the time. Sometimes I have the wrong attitudes. I have the wrong thoughts. That's why the scripture says take every thought captive. It's easy sometimes to get into a negative thought pattern and to regurgitate on that. And once you start down that path, I mean all sorts of bad things could be flowing in your head and pretty soon they're flowing out of your mouth and they're flowing out of your actions. We have a responsibility to those things. And even though we can't always do those in ourselves, you're a child of God. Greater is he that is in you than he who is of the world. We need to rely upon him. Think about this. Just slow down. Slow down your life sometimes. Just really take time to listen, to pray about things. Sometimes in a conversation, maybe you just need to have a quick prayer going through your head. Lord, I want the words that I say to bring glory to you. Can you do that? James says we can. I think we can too. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. And Lord, we stand here knowing that none of us is righteous here. None of us has it together. We, we all fall short. Lord, we know you're faithful. We know that when we realize those times in our life, Lord, that we can come to you and, and seek forgiveness and ask for wisdom in and, and the ways that we should respond and the things that we should say. And Lord, that you will bring us to that point. Lord, we... Thank you that you are never through with us. When we come to you, Lord, you just don't leave us there, but you are drawing us closer to you. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be encouragers also to one another. Sometimes our brothers and sisters just need a little nudge. They need a little encouragement. Sometimes they just need to, to hear the words that we care. And, you know, Lord, 
The truth is, is a wonderful thing to share, but the truth shared in love is the best thing to hear. And so, Lord, help us to be those agents. Lord, we just pray for each one here today. Lord, you have brought together this body of, of wonderful people. Lord, you're doing great things in their lives, in their marriages, in their relationships. Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, we just ask that you continue to direct this body and continue to direct each one, Lord, in their life and in their walk. We know that, Lord, without you, that we are nothing, and we are so thankful, Lord, that we have you. Help us to depend upon you for everything we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.